Hey there everybody, Franklin Taggart here, and it is time for the virtual coffee break. I've got my coffee, grab your beverage, and let's have just a little bit of a chat, shall we? Uh, my good friend Teresa sent me, uh, forwarded a letter to me, uh, or I guess it was a maybe an email newsletter that she had gotten that uh, was written by um, an artist who was basically putting up... Uh, pretty significant and justified resistance to um, to a marketing expert or a branding expert that had gotten in front of a group of artists and said that the thing that's missing from, from what they're doing is branding. And um, it, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting article and I, I got a lot out of it. But the thing that I, I really wanted to look at there is that um, I've been on both sides of that equation. I've been the person with the PowerPoint presentation, and I've been the person who's, you know, going through the art career, trying to find an audience and trying to make a living. Um, I've been on both sides of that coin, and neither one of them uh, is particularly <laughs> one that I that I recommend to anyone. <laughs> The thing that was really interesting to me about that article, um, the guy had a lot of legitimate um, issues that he raised. And one of the things that I think is really important is to understand that there is some art that is commercial. It's viable as a as something to sell. It is something that people are willing to pay for. And then there is some art that may not ever find uh, it's resting place. It may not be intended um, to, you know, be a commercial expression. It may not be really, you know, may not be the kind of of work <clears throat> that people want to put in their home or in their office or in their space or in their public space. Um, and there are a couple of stories that come, came to mind as I was reading that article. And one of them was that I remember a, a good friend of mine talking about going to an opening that a friend of his had had. And she was um, an artist that was a 3D artist that did a lot of work with um, like how people organize and people either organize in like piles or boxes or bundles or things like that. And she had this really, really meaningful exhibit. And yet she was someone who really struggled financially um, because there wasn't, um, there weren't benefactors for her kind of art. There weren't patrons for her kind of art. There weren't people that were buying that to put in their home. And he talked about just how struck he was with her commitment to doing the art despite the fact that it wasn't something that she was able to generate revenue or income with. And he had, he had talked a little bit about his experience as a, as a singer songwriter and as a traveling musician that, you know, it took years of work before they found the right audience and enough of the right audience that they could actually sustain themselves and make a, make a viable living from that. So the thing that I will say is that 
for the for the marketing expert that comes in and tells artists that they that, that the thing that they're missing is branding or that their marketing message needs to be tightened up um, I, I think it's right for this person to stand their ground and say you're missing the point here art isn't about that and if it sells that's great if people are able to make you know any part of their living from their art that's great and there's some art that doesn't lend itself to that kind of an exchange so i think that i think that that guy that that was that was writing this article was standing his ground legitimately and i would back him up 100% and i also agree with the person who's on the other side of the table saying that no matter if your art is commercial or not you still have to find an audience you still have to bring your art and put it in front of people i think that it's being created for a reason it's being created for some kind of enrichment some kind of experience some kind of closure of a circle of some kind so you do need to get out there and find your audience and a part of that is branding and messaging and positioning and all of the things that marketers talk about now one of the way one of the things that i loved about the way that this article ended was that the fellow said that what he's not asking for is for that person to go away completely but what he was asking for is uh, a couple of things he was asking that the person get down off of their soapbox about branding and really get to know the artists that they're talking to and understand that their motivations their their reasons for uh for creating all of those things may not be related to business may not be related to income may not be related to money but one of the things that he did say and one of the things that he did ask for is something that i will ask for as well and that is, is that i think we need to have partners across disciplinary lines right i think artists need to have partners who are business people they need to have partners who are financial people they need to have partners who are teachers they need to have partners who are community activists we i think what we really need to do is to start breaking down all of the specialty walls that we've created over the last hundred years and really look at what does a next level of partnership look like between all of these different disciplines what is possible if artists do come together with the people who are experienced in marketing and sales and branding and instead of the branding people saying that you know in order to be a commercial success you have to do this what if the what if the branding people came along and said in order for you to make a meaningful connection with the audience who is going to appreciate this work this is what you need to do i think we might have a different kind of a conversation we might have a different kind of an experience right the other story that i was reminded of in this in this person's letter um one of my favorite composers is the 20th century music composer charles ives now, Charles Ives was was really well known um, in the music realm 
for his risk taking and and his experimentation with you know very different systems of understanding music and tonality and polytones and different kinds of rhythms and things like that and if you listen to his music it's not like listening to a very pleasing baroque bach at, you know bach sonata or something like that very often it's like um you know, if you listen to a Charles Ives piece, it's kind of like uh, trying to watch a really loud television program while there's a parade going by and um, there's a, a, f a family from another country that are all having a really loud conversation in the apartment next door that you can overhear completely. That's kind of what a Charles Ives piece sounds like. Early in his career, he didn't get a lot of recognition and his music was not widely popular. So Charles Ives, um, he started out, you know, while he was in college, he worked his way through college as a church organist. But after he got out of college, he was an actuarial for an insurance company. And then he opened his own insurance company. And he was an insurance, you know, representative for his entire professional life. And um, I don't know, um, probably when he was somewhere in his 50s, um, he found out that he had diabetes and he decided to retire. And his intention was that he was going to compose more music. But one of the things that he found was that he didn't have the physical capacity to do that. And so after his retirement, he was really basically done. So what was really interesting is like later in his life, other people championed his work and and it became somewhat more well-known and popular but he never saw i don't think he ever saw much financial reward if any from his composition um what's really interesting is that after he died i think he died in like 1954 after he died his wife um created um, um, a scholarship and when she died all of the royalties from his music went to fund that scholarship and so what's really interesting is that his art didn't benefit him financially but it is now facilitating the education of, uh, of other composers now that's that story to me is just as inspiring as if he were to have become the most popular composer of his time and had enjoyed you know all kinds of acclaim and all kinds of financial reward and success during his lifetime but that just wasn't the story that doesn't take away one whit of his value um, and his contribution to our culture so the thing that I'm going to put out there is that I want to encourage people on both sides of the of the story here. If you're a branding and a marketing person and you're trying to help people who are creative, I think you need to really get to know them before you bring your strategies to them. Because I don't think your strategies, your boilerplates aren't going to work in that world as well as you think they might. Now the second thing that I'm going to say to artists is that you've got I know that you've got a vision. I know that you've got um, a, a reason that's pushing you forward into this work. And 
I think it's important for you to allow other people to partner with you um, in ways that will allow you to be supported so that you can do more of the work that you are here to do. So those that's my two bits for today. Thanks, Teresa, for, for sending that uh, inspiration on to me. And uh, we're going to be hearing from Teresa in this week's podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the end of her sabbatical and uh, getting uh, getting comfortable with not knowing what's next is going to be the theme of the podcast on Friday. So Teresa is going to be back on Friday with uh, another wonderful contribution. Thank you all so much for your time and your attention. I hope this has been something uh, of an inspiration to you. And I'll be looking forward to another coffee break tomorrow. So long. <laughs>